Before we start this week's episode, I've got a quick message for you. If you've been listening along to the last several episodes, then you've probably heard me give a plug for the Discover Your Inner Awesome Masterclass, our 10-week online personal brand bootcamp. And I'm bringing it up again here because there's something that came out in a recent episode we did. If you heard the one with Colt Cabana, the pro wrestler, live from Tech Week, he mentioned something in that episode that I think is really important. And he talked about basically how when he got fired from the WWE, the premier organization in professional wrestling, that was his wake-up moment that he saw he could be just let go at a moment's notice. And from that point forward, he made a proactive decision to build his own brand so he could stand on his own two feet. See, the only thing you have at the end of the day that is wholly yours is your name. And perhaps over the years, you've let other people take control over your name. Now it's time to take back control. What does your name stand for? What does your name represent? How do you make sure your name carries value and that you're not at the whim of one employer's decision to randomly hire or fire you? You give yourself options, freedom, and flexibility. If that's interesting to you, then I want you to work on your personal brand with us and join the Discover Your Inner Awesome Masterclass, our 10-week online personal brand bootcamp. Our course comes with lifetime membership to over 25 hours of video material along with guided worksheets and homework. You also get lifetime membership to a very supportive community of like-minded individuals working on their brands, working on their goals alongside you. So if the Discover Your Inner Awesome Masterclass sounds enticing, if you want to build a dope personal brand, join us and apply at www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com. On now with our show. That you guys are sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> like that'll probably be the nugget that we throw in at the beginning of the show. I've never been put in such a vulnerable position. I'm pressing hard now just to feel the ignition. My heart, my soul, is this justified? Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Idea Lemons Discover Your Inner Awesome Podcast. My name is Rajiv Nathan, aka Raj Nation. I am the Idea Lemon co founder and your show's co host. And per the usual order, I am alongside my co founder and co host, Marty McFly, Martin McGovern. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help us all better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. In this episode, we hang out with Catherine Hill. Catherine is a choreographer, a figure skating coach, and someone who brings movement into people's lives. And what we talk about is something that happens over time, which is evolution. And how does that apply to our own lives? Specifically, we ask the question, how do you evolve over time? We actually had such a great conversation with Catherine, and we all felt like we had more to say, so we asked Catherine to come back and do a part two of this episode. So what you got this week is part one. Next week, we'll hit you with part two. Before we get started, I want to invite you to join our tribe of dope people over at idealemon.com. Enter your email address. You'll never miss an episode of the show and all the other cool things we share. All right, let's dive in now to our conversation with Catherine Hill. How do you evolve over time? Let's listen in. I grew up 
figure skating competitively um, from the ripe old age of two years old. Mm. <laughs> and Most um, of us were learning to crawl. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I like to say I was skating before I was walking. Um, and at a very early age knew it was something that I wanted to pour my whole self into. Um, so I remember being picked up from school very early or missing school and going to these competitions and practices and waking up at four in the morning, et cetera, and never once questioning the decision because it's exactly what I wanted to be doing. Um, and I think I mentioned to you earlier, I was asked throughout my childhood, so you want to go to the Olympics? You're trying to go to the Olympics. And I would tell people, no, actually, I want to create the things that are being shown at the Olympics. So I knew from an early age I wanted to choreograph. Um, and I think what is most interesting to me is how that's developed over time and how I've been able to, one, kind of relate this one very niche nugget experience um, and activity and passion to like so many roads in my life and so many different endeavors. Um, so for me, evolving over time means taking this one thing that I love and pursuing that, but then seeing how I can relate it to other things. There we go. That's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So at eight years old, you had the wherewithal to know that the Olympics was not something you wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. I She's kn- been thinking about it since she was two, though. <laughs> it's been so six years time. of contemplation. Yeah. Um, yeah, I knew I had more fun making up the dances and making up the skating routines than I did with the jumping and the spinning. Quite frankly, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be bothered with the jumps. I thought they were uh, kind of a nuisance to have to learn. Um, But I knew I liked listening to the music. I liked cutting the music that I would perform to. Um, And so very, er and I really had great mentorship in the choreography realm. So I was working with very talented choreographers that of took me under their wing and showed me the way um and then i had a lot of questions about movement in general and why we like to move the way we do so everyone if you think of a ballerina you have certain positions or um lines that you think of right away and we connotate that with the word beautiful most of the time um and I wanted to know why that was. Why do we say that's pretty? Or why have mm. I been told for years that that's pretty? So that's why I went to study dance. Um, and right there, that's kind of like one shift, the first shift in my longtime choreography career now of saying, I'm going to step off the ice for a while. I started the beginning of my career on the ice and step off and really study where these things came from. Yeah. And so that was kind of like the first evolution. Step off and step up. Exactly. <laughs> step up to the streets. Hey, what? <laughs> Chan Tatum. Yeah. So in that particular instance, that brings up something that I find interesting, which is it's like there's an interesting relationship between student and teacher. And when a student decides to become a teacher, it's a completely different frame of reference you have to put yourself into. Um, 
and I remember we, you know, a year ago we did a podcast, season one, episode four, perhaps, <laughs> <laughs> with uh, my college entrepreneurship professor, Patrick Murphy, and he was talking about how um, he's able, you know, he teaches entrepreneurship. He's never, he's invested in businesses. He's never started his own business, though. And, the, you know, we were talking about, like, does that cause credibility issues? Or do you see that as a disservice? Or do students see that as a disservice? And he was like, you know, we have, I get tons of entrepreneurs every year who want to come in and teach a class. He's like, but entrepreneurs are super experienced in the one business they have run. He's like, it's my job to learn everything that goes into entrepreneurship and distill that down to other people. And that's kind of the same thing that, to bring it back to where you went from student to teacher, is as a student, you're focused only on your own development and getting yourself to be as good and, and talented as you possibly can be in that field. As a teacher, it's, I have to now study everything that is part of this realm. And I, and I just think the, where the, I think the, the source of knowledge starts to grow so much larger and where you decide to allocate your mental energy changes yeah. completely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a really good point because I will say um, more often than not, you'll hear the cliche of teachers saying they actually learn so much from their students. And I think you hear that all the time because it's so true. And from a creative perspective, I went from, okay, performing myself, sometimes performing my own choreography, sometimes others, and then working to either teach someone else to do that for themselves or teach them the choreography I had, you then can play off those people that are learning from you and vice versa. So I actually found it, I would say, yes, it's such a different hat and you have to educate yourself in a million realms, but those in a creative space which I hope more often than not people are working in some sort of creative space for themselves. It's seeing the nuance that others can bring to the table with you, even if you come into the door and status-wise, you are the teacher and they are the follower or the student. Um, so, you know, more often than not, I find myself putting out content and then having a student change it either purposefully or non-purposefully mm -hmm. and being able to say, hey, that's awesome. Wait, do it that way. That's not at all what I did for you, but it looks great on you or, you know, why well, I hadn't thought of that. So it can really, I found it such an exciting shift mm -hmm. to, to then start saying, all right, I'll give you something and you may have a different interpretation, but look at what we can do together. Yeah, and I think part of what goes into this is really that there's value in every stage of learning or creating. Um, and so a lot of times we think unless we're the expert, we don't get to have an opinion, right? right. But the truth is, as long as you're owning your status, <laughs> yep. whatever your status might be, you have value to bring to the conversation. And I think, um, you know, one of the things where it's like, okay, now I'm, if I'm going to be the person who runs the business, I can't be looking at 700 different business models to see what's consistent among them all for my students. 
Right. I have to look at my business model and, and perfect it. And one of the things that always blew me away as a kid when I was in band, like I'd be trying to learn saxophone and I'd look at the director, right? And he would be able to play every single instrument. Probably not perfectly, but I was a kid. So I was like, holy cow, this guy can literally play anything. But he had to do that over time. He probably started mastering piano or mastering whatever his, I think he was a trumpet player. So he was like the best trumpet player in high school, college, whatever. And then as he went from being the perspective of I'm going to be first chair to I'm going to teach or lead the orchestra, then he's like, all right, I have to learn this, 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 and this. And now my job isn't to be first chair. My job is to understand the composition so that I can actually direct. And I think when it comes to this evolving mindset and kind of how do you evolve, it's where are you today right. and do you own it? Yeah, you know, that's so funny you say that because I have a, one of my best friends a few years ago started a styling business. So she was working for a large corporation and has always had such an interest in styling and had been watching me meld and form my choreography work and had said, you know, I'm just, I want to do this, I'm ready. And at some point she made the decision, oh, I just have to start. And it by no means will be at the level that I want it to look even in a year from now. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of anxiety and you feel very exposed when you say, okay, I'm going to put out a website and it's not going to be great right now, but it's going to be something. Mm -hmm. And I think unknowingly, because I was just young enough when I started this work, I, you know, I had my first client in high school where I simply went up to a coach. I said, I, I think I can help her perform that program better. Like, I know what she needs to do with her arms there. And I know, you know, I had all of these ideas. I was just young enough to not be afraid of the no. And I was also young enough to not be afraid of the, it, it may not be great. I don't have a process for you. I mm-hmm. haven't written down anything. I'm not trying to sell you. I'm just here to say, I think I can do it. So there's, you know, it's like the transitions between, you know, student and teacher, that's one way to evolve and ebb and flow throughout your career and like finding how to work your passion into your life. But it's also just like the starting point. And it may not nearly be at the level or quality you want it to be, but making the first step is huge. Mm -hmm. I think in that kind of that process of you know, like just getting a website up or whatever it might be. There's, there's too much of a large emphasis placed on perfection, which is just like robbing people of doing anything (laughs) because if it's not perfect, oh, people are going to judge me. But what I think is interesting and just, you know, I know like I've got a history of just doing it and seeing what happens. Yeah. And letting, you know, letting the whatever, fall, what is it? Let the shit fall where it may. I don't think that's the phrase. <laughs> <I don't think so. laughs> what is it? Let cards. The, let the cards. cards. Is it yeah. the cards? No, let the chips fall. Let the, the chips. chips fall where it may. Jaron Trace is brought to you by Martin McCover. Or idioms, I should. I didn't even get the right. Yeah, idioms, I think is what that is. Anyway. We're slow, trying. Slow We're trying. <laughs> uh, I've had a long history of just putting something out there and getting seeing, and letting the chips fall where they where they may. I've also had a history of trying to be too perfect at something, specifically with music. Um, I got to a point where I was like, yeah, it's not ready yet. It's not ready yet. And then finally just be like, fuck it. It's ready. Right. <laughs> because I say it's ready. 
And I really think this idea of perfectionism is, is preventing progress from taking place. Because if you are not allowing yourself to get started on something, then you're not allowing yourself to get better at it. And then there's no progress happening. And the, the big secret of it all, quote unquote, is that no one knows what they're doing. <laughs> right. Everyone is just throwing things out there and seeing if they work. And then because they keep going at it, they start to figure out and get better at it. But the, you know, we had our, uh, for our online class, we had our, a student meetup last night. Yeah. And a couple of the new students were expressing their concerns over like, when they create something that, you know, they're afraid of putting it out in front of people, especially because, you know, they're putting themselves out there and then like, what if it's not exactly what they want it to be, that kind of stuff. It's the stamina that's huge. I think, yeah, so, Again, like kind of pulling from my personal experience, I had, you happen upon that moment when you realize, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. I I can actually, all right. You know, there's this moment of, oh, I do feel really comfortable either charging you that amount of money for this expertise or talking to someone you've respected for a long time about your opinion in that matter, um, whatever your passion is or whatever you're trying to do, I think it's the stamina of liking the process first. And as I was saying, for me personally, that happened at such a young age that by the time I had that aha moment, I, I was primed to go, oh, I can do this full time. Um, but I think it, it's, it's that, it's just putting in the time and the iterations and the experiments of, hey, I love doing this, so I'm going to do it on my own time. I'm going to paint this picture, and I'm going to show some friends. And they're going to put it on their walls, and then maybe someone will see it. Mm -hmm. And then maybe I'll put it in a coffee shop, and before you know it, when you are looking to make this a full-time gig, your case studies are innumerable. I mean, you, you have so many case studies to talk through and speak to. Yeah, I did this gig over here. You know, say you're a musician. I did this gig here. I've been collaborating with this person for years. And before you know it, you are an expert. Um, but you have to like that process. Yeah. Yeah, it's because there's okay, a lot of things that you don't want to do or that you just have to do in that process. And I think, you know, to go back to where you, when you were a kid and you made that choice where you kind of actively were like, I like making this come together i'm about to sneeze oh <coughs> excuse me bless you sneeze cast the lord bless you <laughs> uh, what <laughs> so when you made that decision where you said Seinfeld, i don't necessarily so good <laughs> you are so, so good looking, good looking. <laughs> uh, please stop stroking his ego <laughs> <laughs> Now, when you made that decision that you said, I don't, you know, I like putting this together more than I like the actual being on the ice and performing. That's a big thing. And it's some of the discussions we've had recently around like knowing what really goes into whatever the thing is you're interested in Mm -hmm. and knowing what do you care about doing and what do you enjoy doing? Because there's some overlap, but it's not an entire overlap. So as we were saying before, like, a CEO spends most of his day doing administrative things, I mean, like high-level administrative things, but he's not 
close to the customers or the product. Right. And as we've seen so far, what we really enjoy is being close to the customers and the product. So we may be terrible CEOs by that measure, or we're just not at the point yet where we're like, I'm done well, being in the it, trenches. It keeps us from growing at a certain point because we'll, we always make choices to spend more time with the clients um, over finding ways to separate ourselves and let it scale. Right. And so it, it impacts knowing what you're interested in and what you want impacts how you're going to grow. And I think that makes it really important to know, like you said, it's like, what, what do I want to be doing right. so that I know where I'm evolving to? And one of the things um, that I've really enjoyed over the past year as we've, you know, moved further and further into creating our own ideas and putting them out there and seeing them grow is bursting a lot of the bubbles that exist um, in in the media or whatever uh, around what it is to do certain jobs. Um, So as... You know, the first bubble that ever got burst for me was like, oh, I want to work in advertising. And then I go work in advertising and I'm like, oh, so I don't get to make Sony Bravia commercials where they dump, <laughs> um, where they dump bouncy balls down the streets of, of San Francisco. Okay. Which, which to that, it's like, because then it's like, well, the ad agency just hires an agency. And then the ad agency just hire, like, hires, like, I wonder, where does, where does the end of the line go for the agency hiring an agency to okay, do the thing? and that's such a good point because <laughs> I think people need to realize you need to be at the end of that stream of yeah. that stream you whatever you're saying like what you're who's hiring who's hiring who's yeah. hiring you want yeah. to be that person yeah. right and i so i couldn't agree more i think starting in as like go as niche and specific as humanly possible based off of what you actually want to be doing yeah what you're saying yeah it's yeah. like i saw that commercial and i said oh i like advertising no, you no. like the art that goes into making that commercial. Mm-hmm. So really, like, bursting all the bubbles. Like, you know, one of the things... He's a dream shatterer. Yeah, I like to just destroy people's dreams and bring them to reality. He's like, oh man, he's Santa Claus coming with a sack of coal. Yeah, that's a nice balloon. I've got a BB gun. Um, yeah. yeah, good. Uh, and so, but my, I think what I really enjoy is like... Um, Watching Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. like that's my all-time favorite show right now. It's hilarious because that's my all-time favorite show right now. Right now, yeah, <laughs> yeah. all-time favorite show right now. Uh, it currently sits in best shows ever because I haven't seen Breaking Bad in a while. Um, but the point being is, like, I love every episode of that because you're sitting there. Not only is it hilarious and everything, but you're sitting there and you're just like. They are they are just peeling away the onion of like of all the fallacies of what could be great about that life. Exactly. Yeah. And or and, may, they may not be fallacies, but they may be fallacies for some people. They're, they're incomplete well, truths. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like you just watch that whole scene where he's like, "You can't fire me from my own company," and it's like, <laughs> "Yeah, they can." Right. And it's like, or or that that scene where it's like, "Oh, I really want to work on a product that I believe in," and then suddenly they're like. Well, wait, but if we're going to have to work on something we hate, we might as well do it well. What is that? What do you mean? It's a box. That's not our box, is it? You said it didn't matter. You said you didn't care. No one's caring about this. I'm just saying, like, it's just a matter of pride and, like, self-respect. I could maybe add some color to it and give the bezel a little slam. Well, hey, uh, what are you doing standing around here talking about it? You should go do it. You know, go ahead and make the damn thing. (laughs) Make it a Jaguar, because I have a feeling this baby is going to purr. 
and like they're having fun doing that. It's like all these things that we have in our head of like, I'm not ever going to do that thing. Like I was talking to someone over the weekend and they want to create this new restaurant app that's going to, he was my Uber driver and he wants to create this new restaurant app that's going to compete with Yelp, but do it in a way that isn't, isn't so unfair to restaurants and has like a different rating system and also will compete with Facebook and have videos. And he just kept going and I was like, you think Yelp didn't start with that same idea? Right. Like you didn't think, you don't think that they sat there going, we're going to make this amazing thing that's really going to help restaurants. You think they started by saying, we want to screw over yeah. restaurants? Right. No. Right. They just kept having to iterate and find ways to become profitable. Right. And this is what you get. <laughs> like, yeah. this yeah. is what we were able to do. And people are like, oh my God, Airbnb has bed bugs and fuck the man corporations. No, like they're doing the absolute best that they can do yep. and are doing it way better than a lot of hotels. So like you get what you get and same with Uber. Yeah. And it's like, we all sit here going like, oh, if I was there, I would do it better. No, no you, you wouldn't <laughs> because you don't know what it takes to be there and you don't know what decisions you're going to have to be put up against. Like you're going to have to decide, do I make my sales this month or do I spend more time on customer service? Mm -hmm. That's a decision that has to be made. Mm -hmm. And if you spend more time on customer service, you are now putting yourself in a position that's going to be harder to grow. Yeah. It's a, you know, and hearing you say also is kind of the chicken or the egg model. I know a lot of people, like my friend that was in styling, um, she had said, you know, I, I'm afraid to start. And it's the chicken or the egg of do you, or a lot of people say, I don't have a passion. I want to do something that fulfills me, but I don't know what that is yet. And I think ebbing and kind of like switching back and forth between those two initiatives can also be a great strategy of, okay, I know I like doing this thing. It may be, I don't know, playing Frisbee with friends outside. It could be anything. I know I like doing that. I'm just going to do more of that. And then that creates a community and then you learn about that community and then it could be a jumping off point from mm -hmm. there, right? Then all of a sudden, next thing we know, you're manufacturing Frisbees and they're all over the world. So, or you can go from the passion of, I like being, you know, like the mission statement. I like being outside. I like bringing people together and I like giving them the a movement component for health benefits. What does that mean? Oh, I'm going to start a Frisbee company, right? Yeah. And I think so many people get stuck in one or the other where they know they love something and they can't figure out how to combine a mission to it or like attach a mission or they're they're struggling to find a mission and therefore they never end up doing anything mm -hmm. because they don't know they feel that it needs to have this grandiose um, purpose behind it. Mm -hmm. So I you know my big message and something that I flip-flop back and forth between is I like to do this because you know what? I like to get up every day and I like to move my body and I love music and how amazing and blessed I feel when I'm able to do both. Oh, by the way, if I can help someone while I'm doing it and it helps them win a competition, great. Mm -hmm. And then the next day I wake up and I'm like, the only thing that matters is me helping this individual today. <laughs> yeah. I don't care. I, quite honestly, I don't want to be moving. I would love to sit and, you know, and then it's, I'm sore. And it, so then all of a sudden my mission is completely flip-flopped. 
Um, and I don't think that would be, I don't think that would be mess the message from a lot of people, but for me having sustained ebbing and flowing through my creative career for so many years, that to me has been a huge strategy of go at loose flipping back and forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, and almost it's like the, the one or the other, right? It's like, do you pick something you're passionate about or do you look at the, what are the components of that? And then do I go down that route instead? I think it's almost like to get started, you've got to just pick something you're interested in. And then you start to collect these experiences that allow you to say, okay, I apparently really like communicating. Mm -hmm. How else can I communicate now? Because I'm just thinking, as you were saying that, I was just thinking about, thinking about my own past. Sure. You know, in high school, the two things I cared most about were track and field and the Chicago Cubs. Nothing else. I mean, and, and you know, I did school as well, but like track and the Cubs. And I knew like every player's batting average and all their batting stances and all this stuff. And, right. and you know, I watched as many games as I could and all that. And you so far too. Yeah. And like <laughs> you know insane. what I you know That's what I have a like lot a, of stamina right there. Right. And <laughs> well, I was a sprinter, so <laughs> Uh, and then I did track for a year in college and I ended up doing a sports talk radio show for three years in college with my roommate. And then I also broadcasted the school's basketball games on the student radio station. I am, I no longer work or actively do things in baseball or any like the four major sports. And I used to be like a sports junkie. But because I started like doing something in one of those, like just I took sports as a starting point, like I quit track in college because it no longer fulfilled me. Like every, like I loved it in high school. I loved the team aspect of it. I loved being able to know I was like working really hard at something and actually see like the results in terms of tenths of seconds and getting faster. Yeah. And then knowing that we had this awesome team that we were building and I could, um, basically like cheer on someone else on our team. And we like had this great camaraderie. And then in college, I was no longer fulfilled by the sport because the things that existed in high school, it didn't really feel like as, as hard as it was, it didn't feel like work or I never was like, oh, why am I doing this? Right. Then when I got to college, the camaraderie wasn't there. And I still have friends who were on that track team, but I, I just thought it was so strange in college that some of the sprinters didn't know the names or even the existence of some of the distance runners. And I had come from this high school where we all knew everyone sure. like on our team. Yeah. And you like supported the throwers and the throwers supported the sprinters and the distance team and whatnot. All up in each other's biz. Yeah. yeah. And then I went into this life where it was like, you know, this person who runs the 200 doesn't even know that this other person who runs the two mile or the five mile is a person. Like right. he, does, he does not know that person exists. Let alone if they broke a record. They yeah. They could be an all-star and they wouldn't. Yeah. Win. So, you know, it no longer fulfilled me. And that's when it really was like every day practice became work. And I was like, this is just not enjoyable anymore. And my grades are starting to suffer. Yeah. So I was like, I got to get out because I didn't come here to do this professionally or by any means, you know, if I'm not enjoying it, I got to get out. But then what did I carry forward? All right. And it's like, all right, well, I can still be involved in sports. And I ended up... I got involved in the athletic department at DePaul otherwise, like, and tutoring athletes in philosophy. And then uh, I started doing the sports radio show at the radio station. 
And then now, like, look, we like I don't do sports anymore, broadcast sports, but I communicate still, right? We have a podcast. Absolutely. And what do I do? I teach people in a different way now through our workshops and our our, our class. Mm-hmm. And it's like the because I had enough experiences, that kind of just snowballed over time to get me to where I am today. But I think the starting point of it all was just picking something that I enjoy and just having an experience and then seeing where that takes you. Right. Absolutely. I will say I've interfaced with people, though, that second guess that. <laughs> yeah, like I've met I've had a lot of people who second guess their capability in that activity and say, well, I may like it, but I'm not good at it. Mm-hmm. Right. Or I don't have enough experience or the best one now that we're older is that, well, I can't start now. Like I've always wanted to do that trail off, yeah. dot, yeah. dot, dot. dot. Right. <laughs> and so I think that's why if people need, you know, I kind of suggest either or it's just start doing what you like. You know, I last two weeks ago, we put on a conference in San Francisco called Design for Dance. And that was about bringing dance into all spheres of life, education and health, et cetera. And we had a few adult dancers who had started at age 25 in a class with 13 year olds. And they had the guts and and the, I guess, the energy to go ahead and try that. But many people are afraid by that. And so I think the other flip side to say, maybe you do need a very specific mission. Mm-hmm. And if you're an analytical mind that says, okay, I don't know if I'm good enough for this and this could be a barrier to entry into that market if I'm trying to start a business, whatever it may be, but I do know my mission is to connect people and, I don't know, make it easier for them to X, Y, and Z, then if that's your motivator and it gets you to move and act, then great. There's more of our conversation with Catherine Hill in just a moment. But first, let's talk about the Discover Your Inner Awesome Masterclass. Carmen is a current student in the program, and about halfway through, she had this to say about the course. What I enjoy most is how the ideas are presented and how quickly you can apply them to your life. It's been really useful for applying to jobs and to interviews. This class is the best and most fun way to learn how to speak about yourself in personal and professional situations. And Carmen's only halfway through the program, so I'm really looking forward to see what she comes up with by the end of the 10 weeks. If you want to build your personal brand, if you want to showcase your unique voice, if you want to do what you're passionate about, then this is the class for you. It's 10 weeks. You get lifetime membership to the material. You get lifetime membership to a very supportive community of like-minded individuals. And you get to learn from the guys who you've been listening to on this podcast for over 50 episodes. So if you're interested in building an amazing, dope personal brand, apply to join our program at www discoveryourinnerawesome.com. Back now to our conversation with Catherine Hill. So I, I, I think we're similar in the sense of go do and learn and start to iterate. Yeah. But um, I, I, you know, I have seen people need that flip initiative. Yeah, well, and like that, the mindset of, oh, I'm not good at that, you know, like that frustrates me so much that people allow that thought to hold them back. Well, that's like the um, uh, the rejection therapy. Have you guys heard of rejection? Yeah, um, yeah. What is that man's name? Get no, you see, you just get the no. Yeah. Yeah. I got a twenty percent discount on a umbrella because of that. Did you? <laughs> that's awesome. And it frustrates me because, and I know this from personal experience, 
you know, when I did track in high school, I had some friends who were like, you're not fast. Why would you do that? And it's like, but I'm allowed to try. Mm-hmm. And I got fast by the end. You know, I ended up having a couple school records by the time. And we collectively as a team did really well. Um, but only because I allowed myself to try in the first place. And then I just kept doing it. And then like same thing today, like I will get people every now and then who are like, oh, I can't do yoga. I'm not good at it. And they would ask me, how'd you get good at it? I've been practicing for like a year and two months now. And I'm just like, the only thing that separates me from you is I just, I went do and it. I just kept coming back. You just do it. <laughs> I know. God, I can't tell you how many students I have. They're standing there. You know, I work with a range anywhere ages between seven and 23 or 24. Um, and I have so many kids. They'll stand there in front of you. You'll ask them to do something. And they'll go, oh, I can't do that. And these are highly competitive, very well-achieved individuals, um, very motivated, you know, again, a span of ages, but they go, oh, I can't do that. Like, well, that's really great to know that we are on a practice session (laughs) and I am your coach slash choreographer and I am being paid to teach you exactly the thing you're telling me you cannot Mm -hmm. do. Yeah. I'm so happy that now we understand we're not here to practice (laughs) what you're good at. Um, And for kids. That's that's a great line. Oh, my God. Not here to practice what you're good at. They want to do over and over again what's fun and feels good and they've already mastered. Um, And to help them reorient that that framework. No, in fact, actually, you know, or even just teaching them... (laughs) You've got these two ways of doing it, and you're really good at this one, or this way. Maybe it's with the right arm. Now I need you to do it twice as many times with the left. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the toughest things is there are not many safe spaces to try things. Especially right? as an adult. Yeah, especially as an adult. And, like, we – I mean, I grew up with four brothers, so trying anything new was, like, you're you're inviting <laughs> you are inviting uh, critique or, yeah. or whatever you want to say there. Uh, so like I remember like I would do impressions of movies and like it would it just shot be like down. oh my gosh it was just like no 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 do that again do that again <laughs> and then like oh no oh, no oh, that's that's really one like there's just like no there's no right way to try things yeah. in in that situation and like. Um, it's just very interesting because as I talk to people, um, right now doing improv is the first time I've been in a room where like the biggest critic is in my head. Like, Absolutely. and I'm a big critic of myself. And so like, yeah, you're always shaking like the cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just uh, too much coffee. Um, and so was that like, what it was or was it just terrible animation? It was purposely bad animation. Okay, yes. all right. I didn't know. Um, I it was like a coffee thing. And stop judging people's animation. They're trying, man. <laughs> uh, and so, but the idea being is like, we're all in that room. We're all trying things that we have never tried before. And we're all pushing each other and like supporting each other. And even then, there's moments where people get up there and they're like... <sighs> oh, yeah. Stage like, fright. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, I, I talk to them like, I could never do improv. It's like... Yeah, you could. Yeah, you could. Technically, you improvise every day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and like, and, and then, you know, I mean, I think what's really interesting about all of this is that because 
finding safe spaces, like we encourage people to go, okay, you have an idea, go create a website, go put it online. The reason people don't, like even people that go through our course will hesitate at that point. Because it's not a safe space. It's not a safe space. Yes. It is the world. It's not even like I'm releasing it to just a small group of people who I know will be supportive. Mm -hmm. You are releasing it to the internet. And the any if anyone on the internet can find your writing, anyone on the internet can comment on your writing. And we all know, even though, you know, you have to kind of get some traffic in order for bad people to show up. Sure. Um, <laughs> which is, you know, if yeah. you're getting traffic, kudos to you. Uh, but, you know, if you're... We were talking to someone, they're like, oh, my son wants to create YouTube videos, but I'm like going to keep him off that for a while because it's such a terrible place if it goes south. Right. And, you know, that on the one hand, it's like, dude, your son is like, what, 12 years old and is like eager to create eager, right? and you're having to stop him because of the, I'm like, just turn the comment section off. He's like, yeah, but you never know. And I'm like. You never know who's going to hack the comments section well, and turn them back on. No, but right. it's like, that is a legitimate concern. That isn't, like, you have people whose kids committed suicide because they posted videos of themselves and got so much negativity that it ruined their psychology as children. Mm -hmm. And, like, so there are legitimate concerns. And it's like, yes, go create. But also... Yeah, I think, Protect you know yourself. I think I can speak to that, actually. First of all, I was just going to say, of course, the internal uh, monologue is always important. So we tell the athletes um, to make sure you're using the positive spin on everything. So a great example is when they land, the internal monologue or correction. If I tell them, when you land, raise your right arm they will inevitably go out and say to themselves as they're trying to ju jump and land, don't drop the right arm, don't drop the right arm. Now, they're, it's the exact same thing, right? Uh -huh. I'm either raising it or lowering it, but the raise your right arm versus don't drop it will change everything. And I've watched that rhetoric be used so... Um, so strategically and impressively and also just really be a detriment mm -hmm. to athletes if you're changing that. So I think it's that internal rhetoric. And I also think as far as having a safe space, um, I can, how do I put this? I can tell you that I, again, just from this, this personal experience, use this as a case study, but I have flip-flopped from many different environments. So... I took my interest in choreography and I moved into the dance space off the ice for a while. And so then my time in the studio with those people felt safe as I experimented and learned and then brought it back to the ice for my business. Mm -hmm. And I've done the same thing where I've learned and iterated ideas and thoughts in one industry and then I've brought it to the corporate space and said, hey, I've trained people in movement and what it can do for their personal branding. In this realm, I've gotten all the kinks out in the realm I feel comfortable mm -hmm. in. Now I can apply it. So I think uh, creating your own safe spaces of people, a lot of these people don't interact. And I think there's a, there's a huge secret in saying, I'm going to test out my model on you even though you're not even remotely the person that I think it's eventually going to get to. Mm -hmm. And so therefore it's lower stakes yeah. because you, you don't care about the opinion as much. I, exactly. I don't care about your opinion as much, 
or I'm going to test it out in a way that you'll benefit, but you don't know I'm testing it because I'm going to bring it and apply it elsewhere. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the big things that prevents people from creating is that they're like, oh, immediately I have to go start creating YouTube videos or immediately I have to go start publishing stuff. And that's not true. What you have to do immediately is start doing something. Just get it out so of like, head. <laughs> yes. So for me, for writing, yes. I started with my personal journal and I've been doing that for you know like half a year now uh, consistently. And that is step one in my process of becoming a writer over the years. I don't have to immediately publish every single thing I write to Medium because that's probably not going to be good in the long run because I don't know what I'm doing with it yet. Um, but it doesn't mean I shouldn't be writing every day. Right. What it means is that I need to be strategic of how I create. And if they were videotaping all of our improv classes in levels one, two, and three, we would not be doing the things we're doing right no, now. No, that's and, true. And this is kind of where it's like, you know, everyone's just like, go create, go make your blog tomorrow. Yeah, it feels no. so overwhelming. Yeah. Like, Rajiv, for you with rapping, if you were to go take a piano class or, you know, have a lesson, a piano lesson, that would be feeding your musicality and could be a really, I mean, but that could be an example of it feels very divergent from your end goal, but it's related in a way where you can fail there or learn something new that you would apply, yeah. even though it's no, I would totally help. Like I was just telling earlier today, like I I don't know enough about the art of music, and I want to know more about the art of music. Yeah. I know a lot about one genre, and more so than that, I know a lot about the way I approach one genre. Right. <laughs> if you hadn't been rapping in your closet before coming Which, out of the okay. closet... <laughs> to put this into context, to, to, to put some background on that... I made, so my, cool. I made my walk-in closet my recording booth. Yeah. yeah but if, if so you cool. hadn't been doing that, if, if one day I just came up to you and you're like, God, I wish I could rap on stage with, you know, Sidewalk Chalk at that Sidewalk Chalk show. And then I was like, get on the mic next week. And then you had never written a rap before. You would be out, shit out of luck. Yeah. And that's what happened to me with comedy, right? Yeah. Like we're sitting in the car and it's like, hey. I'd really love to do stand-up comedy. These comedians are hilarious. All right, when we get back, you're doing an open mic. I've never written stand-up in my life. I've never studied stand-up in my life. Right. The week uh, the week building up to me doing stand-up was like hell. Right. The day of, I ripped up everything the, that morning, <laughs> rewrote everything between 1 o'clock and 4 o'clock, and performed a four-minute set at like 7 p.m. And all of that could have been avoided if I had actually been studying comedy <laughs> up until that point. Yeah. And so what was nice is it was kind of a trial by fire and no one recorded it, so it was fine. But it was definitely the most intense thing I've ever done. And I can't imagine someone who hasn't gone through the past four years of presentations and moth nights yeah. and yeah. Every other thing that I've done to build up the confidence to do something like just that. Just to be on a stage. Just period. to be on a stage, period. Sure. And so, like, other comedians would get up there and completely, like, lose their mind right. and yell at the crowd. And I, I was sitting there like, you know, I didn't do great, but, like, at least I didn't explode at everyone. Right. Um, I'm laugh. Yeah. And, and, like, and I'm sitting there kind of, like, judging these guys. I'm like, oh, because all they've done is practice comedy in their rooms. They never practiced getting up in front of people. Yep. And so, like, I practiced getting up in front of people. The hard part for me was the comedy. Right. And they, the easy part for them was the comedy. The hard part was getting up in front of people. And so it's really understanding where you're at. 
you know, I had a friend ask me once, she was really enjoying the music I was playing. I just, you know, have choreographer, you're going to have a lot of random music from all over. And she, she was like, where do you find all this music? And I felt so douchey <laughs> to say, I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the honest answer, but it's going to sound kind of ugly and ridiculous. Um, but I said, it's, it's a lifestyle. You hear a song in a department store mm. and I'm immediately shazamming. I watch someone, I watch a performance on YouTube by a random person in Argentina and I'm writing down the artist of the yeah. music. It's a constant, it is a lifestyle. And when you say study comedy, um, I think what, you know, you're essentially saying I have all of these tools in the back of my brain because I've been watching it constantly so that when you're asked to pull out something, you have it. Just like when I'm asked, ooh, what piece of music do you think would be good for this skater? I have a library, literally, and then also in my brain mm -hmm. of, okay, I'm going to go through, I can, I can find that. I, it's cataloged somewhere. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't give themselves the time to build that catalog of tools. Yeah, I, I think your point of lifestyle is right on because in the past three levels of improv, the thing that I've noticed much to many people in my life's dismay is that um, I am now using my the mindset that I've learned in everyday life. So I'm doing improv all the time around people and they don't know it. And so they're just like, are you being an asshole? <laughs> like, they don't understand why I'm like making these jokes that aren't landing. It's because I'm always constantly doing it. It's now a lifestyle and eventually yes. it will be good enough that people will enjoy it. But until <laughs> then, until then, people are just confused. So I'm like doing weird things and my family will just be like, what's yeah. happening? <laughs> like what, why are you making, what, what's happening? And I think I'll add one last thing on that with this being a lifestyle and just trying as many things as you can and being willing to fail and creating the safe space. I will also add quickly um, the idea of visualization and how hugely important that is. Um, I think, you know, just recently I had someone help me kick my snooze habit. <laughs> mm. Oh, I could use some help with that. Yeah, and it was via visualization. Um, and I have trained so many athletes on the art of visualization for sport and had never once thought I could translate that to something so mundane as just waking up in the morning. Mm -hmm. And then having now thought about that very recently about everything that there has been an, an amount or a sliver of success in over the years has been visualized to the nth degree. I don't know if you guys see that as well, but if you are going somewhere, you think about what you would talk about, how you'll interact with that person, or visualizing what this would look like for the next six months. Um, so I don't want to discount that. Um, yeah, of course. And how there are so many ways to approach it. So. All right, we need to wrap up. Before we do, Catherine, let our listeners know, just, I mean, you've talked about it a good amount, but a little bit of background on yourself, what you're working on, and where they can find you. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm Catherine Hill. You can find me at khill.co. Um, I am a choreographer and creative movement specialist. I work with high level figure skaters on what we call their second mark. So helping them with their artistic presentation. 
And I then translate that, I choreograph for dancers, and then I translate the movement component and awareness to everyday life for corporate teams. All right, very cool. Let's close then by going around, starting with Martin, giving our answers to this question. Martin, how do you evolve over time? I think the way that you evolve over time is finding safe spaces or building safe spaces in your life in order to try the next big leap. Um, it's going to take a while to get there, so be able to practice. How do you evolve over time? You know, this whole time I've been staring at this giant canvas of art, which is an evolution in process every time our friend Liz decides to go back to the canvas and add more to it, which... I really uh, like the mustache you added. (laughs) And uh, I guess as I look at that, what I think of is this specific piece of canvas she has done like a hundred different things with and she just she'll just throw paint over it when she's done with like one look and then she'll start something new on it so recently she threw white paint over this and started something new but it was something before then and what this kind of reminds me of is the winter soldier have you ever seen um down to earth with chris rock no you familiar with the movie yeah. so are you familiar with the movie no well basically like he gets he like gets run over and killed by a car in like the opening scene he goes up to heaven and he's like i'm not ready to die yet and then they're like all right we got this other body you can you can use instead so it's like his personality inside of this like fat white dude who's like a millionaire so it's like chris rock's personality but this other guy's body and they're like how are people gonna know who i am and he they go when you're not you you're still you and i always thought that was like a really good phrase out of that so you're like i think it's almost like there's some there's some trace of you in, in everything that you're doing. So it's almost like you identify with who you are, not with what is the specific activity or output of this moment. Almost detach from the external. Yeah. Catherine, how do you evolve over time? I think evolving over time um, requires the strategy of how to initiate your activities or your endeavors and that the concept of either initiating and starting with a mission or starting with an activity that you enjoy or finding other reasons for doing what you do, you might have a motivator that flip-flops from day to day and I think that's healthy and gives you longevity in the long run to pursue a the, the greater goal that you may have that may not come for another 10 years. But it's okay for you to say, I'm doing this activity now because I love working with people. And then two years from now saying, I'm doing this activity because I'm only doing it for myself. And quite frankly, I only want to explore it myself. Um, I think letting your motivation and your mission and your purpose shift either, you know, on the short term or on the long term, gives you the resilience and the endurance needed to kind of evolve. Catherine Hill, thank you for joining us. Thank you for coming out. Thanks, guys. That was our conversation with Catherine Hill. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us for actually what turned out to be part one of a two-part series. So all you guys listening, we ended up getting back together and talking about the topic again, exploring more about it, diving deeper into some of those topics and seeing if we come up with different answers in a part two episode that you'll get next week. So 
That said, if you, the listener, enjoyed this episode, the best compliment you can give us is a rating and review on iTunes and subscribing to this show. You know what those things do? They help more people find the show, therefore more people can discover their inner awesome, and we just build an army of awesomeness, right? For full references and resources discussed in this episode, as well as Catherine's contact information, find them listed all in the show notes over at the brand new idealemon.com. That'll wrap up this one, but we'll bring Catherine back next week for the part two of this question, which also happens to be the season four finale. So that said, thank you again to Catherine Hill for joining us for part one. For Martin McGovern, I am Rajiv Nathan. You have been listening to the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We'll see you next time. But in the meantime, take care and be awesome today. My